This episode is brought to you by KPMG. The people at KPMG make the difference for their clients. Talented teams leveraging the right technology to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity. KPMG teams together with their clients, working shoulder to shoulder to help grow and transform their enterprise. Are you ready to make the difference together? Go to visit.kpmg.us backslash transformation to learn more. Two weeks ago, a battle raged on the streets of the Mexican city of Culiacan. For hours, members of the powerful Sinaloa drug cartel faced off against the Mexican army. Hundreds of cartel fighters shot at government troops throughout the city. And as the nation watched this battle live, on TV and online, they saw their national forces outnumbered, outgunned, and outmaneuvered by a cartel. Today on the show, what the violent takeover of one middle-class city says about the overwhelming power of drug cartels in Mexico. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, November 1st. This gun battle took place in a city that on its surface wouldn't look like the stage for intense violence. Well, I've been to Culiacan a bunch of times. It's kind of an interesting place. David Luno is the Wall Street Journal's Latin America editor. It's a middle-class city. It's got a nice little river that runs through it that reminds me a bit of San Antonio, Texas. You've got the river walk uh, going through downtown San Antonio. And in Culiacan, they've sort of made a similar thing where there's parks by the river and nice new hotels. So overall, it's a very pleasant city, but behind that sort of thin veneer of modernity and progress, it's often due to drug money. And the money comes from Americans who like to sniff cocaine and do drugs. And so their pocket change essentially funds this city. And when you start to scratch beneath the surface of Culiacan, you come up to drug money time and again. That point really came home to David a few years ago. He was on a reporting trip with a colleague to a drug lord's hometown outside the city. During their visit, a local politician showed them around. He wanted to show us how the county was trying to diversify away from drug money. And so he introduced David to a couple who own an eco-resort. Beautiful little cabins that have been built uh, for people from the coast where it's quite a bit hotter to come up to the mountains and breathe some cool, fresh air. So we sat down to lunch with this couple. He was a lawyer. She was an accountant, a very nice middle-class couple. And we began chatting. And I said, so where did you get the money to build this beautiful little spa you've got? And she said, oh, pues le fue bien en el norte, Um, meaning it went well for my husband in the north. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, he took a... A cargamento, he took a shipment of pot to L.A. and sold it. And that money is our seed money um, for, the, for the business. And I said, well, how about, you know, going to a bank? And she laughed and said, you know, banks don't come to this place. They don't give people like us money. The only people that will give us money are, are the drug gangs. And she said, if you go to any pharmacy that's run by a family or any storefront in most of this state, that money originally comes from drugs. Um, And so it sort of funds the entire economy. 
How this couple got their business going shows just how tightly woven cartels are into the economic fabric of a city like Culiacan. They bring money, investment, jobs. But they also bring extortion, crime, and violence. And large parts of Mexico are living with cartel control as an everyday part of their lives, even if it's not immediately visible. But on that Thursday two weeks ago in Culiacan, cartel control exploded into view across the quiet city. October 17th started as a normal day in Culiacan. Kids were going to school, people were going to work. And in the early afternoon, a small army unit, as we understand it, about 30 to 40 soldiers, decided to carry out an operation to arrest Ovidio Guzman. Chances are you've never heard of Ovidio Guzman, but you know his dad. Yeah, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, probably the world's most famous drug trafficker. El Chapo headed the Sinaloa cartel for decades, escaping from Mexican prisons not once, but twice. His long career only ended with his extradition to the U.S. He had a big trial this year, was found guilty, and he's now in a maximum security prison in the U.S., where he is obviously very unlikely to escape. But jailing its kingpin didn't stop the Sinaloa cartel. These days, it's run primarily by Chapo's three sons, Ivan, Jesus, and the lesser-known Ovidio, who's in his 20s. And it was Ovidio who the army located in a safe house in Culiacan in October. They find the safe house where Chapo's son is hiding with a few of his henchmen, not many. I think there were three or four. And they uh, surround the house. They block off the area. But there's a problem. They don't have an arrest warrant. Why not? Well, that's a good question. They don't have one because if they were to go to a judge, say, the week before or even the days before and say, hey, we're going to go after this guy, so give us an arrest warrant, there's a very high probability that information that they're going to go after this guy is going to leak from the judge's office and is going to tip him off and he will no longer be there. And it's while the army is waiting outside Ovidio's safe house, waiting for the warrant, that they don't trust the courts not to leak, that the cartel realizes something's up. The guys inside the house are saying, well, you know, what's going on? So they raise the alarm for their cartel mates and say, hey, uh, they're coming to get us. You guys need to help. And this is the part that sort of impressed everybody, their power of response. Within about 45 minutes, you had cartel members turning up in armored vehicles some of these guys had mounted machine guns. They were all dressed in bulletproof vests. They had assault rifles. And they started turning up in different parts of the city. As the cartel mobilized, the army made its move. Footage from a Mexican army soldier's helmet camera shows the arrest in action. The soldiers are standing, weapons drawn, in what looks like a covered garage. Their rifles are pointed toward the garage door and then it opens. Relax, relax, the troops say. A woman steps out, then a man with their hands up, followed by Ovidio, Chapo's son, in a crisp white shirt and navy ball cap. Ovidio's surrounded. But soon, the army would be too. They would eventually be surrounded by an estimated 100 to 150 cartel gunmen. And across the city, even more cartel members carried out a reign of terror. 
The city starts to look a little bit like a war zone. You look out across the Culiacan skyline, you hear uh, bullets being fired, you hear sounds of, of gunfire. Of course, families, kids in school, everyone's really freaked out. And you have plumes of smoke sort of rising into the sky. So suddenly this middle-class, rather prosperous city looks a bit like Syria. You had videos, I remember one in particular, of a cartel guy who got on the floor and he had what experts tell me is a, is a 50 caliber machine gun, which is a military-grade weapon. And he was lying on, on the street and he was firing at what appeared to be the state and federal prosecutor's offices in downtown. And elsewhere in the city, cartel members attacked a neighborhood where soldiers' families live. In some cases, storming houses and launching grenades that failed to explode. This was one of their horrifying tactics. And the intention was to sort of show, we can go after your families if oh, we want. Right. And there was a jailbreak too, right? That was, that was ingenious. They went and, and released about 50 fellow cartel members from the jail. You had this video of these guys streaming onto the streets, um, stopping traffic, yanking people out of their cars and taking their cars to drive. It's absolutely terrifying. And you can even hear the voices on the video saying, look, look at what they're doing. They're coming from the prison. It's just sort of shocking stuff. Meanwhile, back at the safe house, the army has Ovidio Guzman up against a wall. Troops are shouting at him to call his brother Ivan. They want him to ask Ivan to call off the chaos. Tell your people to stop everything, the soldier says. Ovidio calls, asks his brother to retreat. Ivan refuses. So those guys were out and about, you know, causing distractions, just them flexing their muscles, showing the government, here's the kind of thing we can do if we choose. And they got their objective. The government folded. The government had detained Ovidio. Soldiers were being held hostage by the cartel. Citizens were terrified. And the violence wouldn't stop until Ovidio was freed. It's not clear yet who made the decision to walk away from Ovidio. But at 6.49 p.m., more than four hours after they started the operation, the troops let Chapo's son go. The Mexican government had captured the son of Mexico's most notorious drug lord, and then the cartel had captured him right back. And this was just a gigantic climb down, a gigantic embarrassment, because Mexico realized, oh my God, the cartel is stronger than the government. There's so much violence in Mexico. And even earlier that week, there had been a massacre of police officers. So what makes what happened in Culiacan, this day of violence, different? I would say two things. One, it was a pretty well-known Mexican city. And two, social media. I mean, this was happening in real time. People were taking videos. It's one thing when this happens in rural Michoacan state and no one knows what's happening but if you're watching a video of a father who's crouching by his car and he has a little girl sort of with her voice trembling saying, no, mi amor. why are you making me lie down by the car? 
And he says, oh, quiet, girl, it's just some bad men are shooting, so we need to be down by the car. No sé, mi amor. Agáchense, sale. Páganse en el suelo, aquí, 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 aquí los dos. Se lo siento para So you had videos like that going viral. And, you know, it's heartbreaking hearing stuff like that. And so people, you know, it really struck a chord. People were able to watch this stuff sort of in real time and feel like they were there. It really made you realize, wow, that's what it's like living in a place where the cartels are in charge. The battle in Culiacan left 13 people dead. Coming up, how the drug cartels gained so much power and why the Mexican government is stepping away from the fight. Welcome back. The cartel power on display in Culiacan isn't unique to that city or even Sinaloa state. David says experts estimate Mexican cartels control as much as a third of the country. I'd say there are certain states um, where they're clearly in control. Sinaloa is one of them. Tamaulipas, which is the state that borders Texas, is another Michoacán is probably the one that that is the most lost in Mexico in terms of territorial control. David, your history in Mexico goes back a long time. You were born there. Take us back to the beginning, to the rise of the cartel's power. Yeah, um, I I like to start with the Miami Vice uh, era. I don't know if you remember that show from the 80s. I do. So I think, how's it shaking? You know, that was a real thing. But we're not going to bust this guy if uh, the deal goes down? This is strict surveillance. We don't want bits and pieces. We want the entire operation. There was tons of cocaine coming from Colombia. Um, at the time, it was Pablo Escobar and the Cali cartel. And they were sending speedboats and planes of cocaine through the Caribbean. They were landing in South Florida. And from there, they were being distributed to the rest of the U.S. So it became a real thing, and the show kind of captured that perfectly. But at some point in the early 90s, the U.S. government thought, right, um, we've got to shut this down. So the U.S. government spent a lot of money sort of shutting down that Caribbean corridor. The problem is, um, experts like to call this the balloon effect. It's like you squeeze one part of the balloon and the air just moves to a different part of the balloon. So what happened is they they closed off the Caribbean corridor and the Colombians just shifted their trafficking through Mexico. Literally, there was one guy called the Lord of the Skies, a Mexican drug lord who started flying 727 airplanes filled with cocaine to land in the northern deserts of, of Mexico and then unloaded and ferried across to the U.S., So that meant if you're a Mexican cartel, you went from controlling maybe 15% of the supply of cocaine that went into the U.S. to 90, 95% of the cocaine that went into the U.S. And the key to this whole trade is the U.S. market. It is. The U.S. plays a critical role in all this because Mexico sends the drugs north and the U.S. sends the money and the guns south. There are hundreds of gun shops in America, many I think that have the highest sales and highest margins, are within 200 miles of the Mexican border. So that circularity uh, ties all of us sort of together in this, in this business. And what has the U.S. involvement been in this drug war? 
So in 2006, a new president was elected, Felipe Calderon. He decided to wage war on these drug cartels. The U.S. decided they were going to help, and it was called the Merida Initiative. And U.S. money, our taxpayer money, was basically going to help Mexico first do things like buy Blackhawk helicopters so that Mm -hmm. the army had some sort of firepower. And then more and more money to try to do things like train police forces, help heal the social fabric in cities, so social programs, things like this. And essentially, ever since then, both sides have been working together. But by the early 2010s, it's clear the plan isn't working. The violence is getting worse, sometimes because of the drug war's so-called successes. Taking out cartel leaders created power vacuums and more violence as fractured cartels vied for power. One by one, Calderon's successors begin to back away from the drug war. And then you had an election last year where Lopez Obrador came in and he said, you know, this is all nonsense. We need peace and love. He announced he was going to pursue a policy of hugs and not bullets. So he said, we need to focus on giving young people jobs. And if they have jobs, they won't get recruited by these bad drug gangs and everything will be fine. So he has decided he's not going to send the army after big cartels. He's going to sort of let them essentially go about their business. And he's actually sort of relies on on the force of his own personality to try to convince drug cartels that they're on the wrong path. He has a daily morning news conference, and he sort of uses that as his pulpit. So he tells the cartel members, he says, you know, you guys have gone wrong. You need to think about your mothers. Um, What would your poor mommy say if she knew what you were doing? And he also has this catchphrase, Fuchi Guacala? Fuchi Guacala. Yeah, Fuchi means sort of yuck, gross. He sort of said, oh, you know, you drug guys, you guys are, you guys are gross, you're Fuchi. Fuchi. Guacala, you know, away with you. Guacala. Eso solo produce sufrimiento. And so when this incident happened, that went trending because people were making fun of him and saying, you know, here's what you're going to get when you try to hug a drug trafficker. Um, It's not going to go well. So what does the president, Lopez Obrador, say about this battle in Culiacan? Well, the following day, Lopez Obrador had uh, one of his daily press conferences. He was asked about the raid. He basically uh, said, you know, it's a regrettable thing that happened, but we're not going to let this force us into uh, the kind of strategy that we don't want to take. We're not going for the guns, bullets strategy. We're going for the hugs strategy. And to add insult to injury— The cartel held its own press conference, right? Well, the next day, this was such a surreal scene. Um, The lawyer, the family lawyer for the Guzman family, held a press conference in Mexico City. La familia pide disculpas al pueblo de Sinaloa, de Culiacán en especial. This guy had like the polyester suit and the the bad tie. Um, And he gets up in, in, in downtown Mexico City and has a press conference thanking the government for releasing his client. And it just, it felt like sort of the Al Capone era of Chicago in the 20s. It felt a bit like the mafia era in Italy in the 70s and 80s. Just this sort of open, brazen impunity. But the cartel's response and the events of Culiacan haven't changed President Lopez Obrador's strategy. At a press conference this week, the president said his administration was sticking with hugs, not bullets. Ya no es la con la 
No es enfrentar el mal con el mal. López Obrador no said the government is no longer fighting a war against drug trafficking. Quote, we are no longer meeting violence with violence, evil with evil. But there may be economic consequences to that approach. How big of an economic problem for Mexico are these cartels? I'd say that's a really interesting question because there's not really an easy answer. I would say uh, generally the cartels have been a net economic plus in the sense of bringing in money. What? But, and it's a big but, the cost of having a lack of rule of law in Mexico and a lack of security is enormous. And I think it's the biggest single stumbling block to Mexico becoming a developed country is the fact that if you're a small family, you're not going to take out a loan or put your family's savings to open up a shop um, in Mexico if when you open it up, somebody's going to come and extort your business to get the money. And I think that's where cartels have gone from being sort of an economic plus to the country to a big economic drain. I think the economic cost is absolutely huge across the country. And I think Mexico, unless it can develop good cops, good judges, and good prison wardens. I don't think Mexico becomes a developed country. And not to be overly U.S.-centric here, but why is it bad for the U.S. if cartels rule Mexico? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. And I think Americans need to ask themselves, you know, why, why should I care what happens in Culiacan or why should I care what happens in Mexico? Well, part of it is that we have a moral responsibility for what's going on there because, you know, every time Americans do drugs, there's a very good chance um, that unless that those drugs were grown locally, a lot of times you're going to be sending money to really, really bad people who are going to be kidnapping, extorting, and murdering people. So think about that. Um, take a while to understand how this business works and your role in handing over your money to, to fund these things. And I think the U.S. Uh, should care because if, if, for example, we want to stop in its tracks all illegal immigration from Mexico, well, you want a stable, prosperous country next door. But if you ignore what's going on in the security thing, if you uh, make trade between both countries more difficult, you're going to have a less prosperous, less stable neighbor. And if you want to see immigration go up, that's a surefire way to do it. You know, do we want to live in a safe neighborhood or one that we have a threat right across a 2,000-mile open border? That's all for today, Friday, November 1st. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. We are your hosts, Ryan Knudsen. And Kate Leinbaugh. We're produced by Annie Minoff, Ricky Novetsky, Sarah Platt, and Willa Rubin. Our senior producer is Pia Godkari. Annie Rose Strasser is our supervising producer. Griffin Tanner is our engineer. Our executive producer is Gerard Cole. Special thanks this week to Nazanin Rafsanjani, Jose de Cordoba, Rafael Garcia, Peter Leonard, and Sam Baer. Our theme music is by Haley Shaw. Additional music this week from Blue Dot Sessions and from Peter Leonard, Billy Libby, Bobby Lord, and Haley Shaw. Thanks for listening. See you Monday afternoon.